How's everybody doing? You know, I just started dating again via the apps and it is not going well. (laughs) Um, You know, it feels even worse than before the pandemic started, which wasn't that great in the first place. But, you know, I'm going to give myself until the end of summer before I hide away and let my cootie shrivel up and die. I'm going to I'm going to give it a good chance. But, you know, I am here with you and that makes me feel good. I hope it's doing something for you, too. You know, this is my 10th episode, and I really, really, really appreciate everyone who has given the shows good reviews, who've told a friend about it, who tweeted and shared us, all of that. I really appreciate you. I'm going to take a quick break, just like the space of one episode. So that'll give you a chance to catch up, re-listen to some favorites, tell some more friends about the podcast, and so that I can refresh myself and bring you more conversations with people who have found small pleasures in their lives. You know, I wanted to do this podcast to emphasize that it's okay to sit with your joy for a minute before finding a way to chip away at it. You know, next time you're eating something that's really good and delicious, don't worry about how you're going to burn those calories off or how it's going to change the way your clothes fit. Savor the taste of it. Honor the hands that worked hard to get it to you. Next time you're watching a movie or a television show that you like, keep that smile on your face and don't worry about what Twitter is saying about it. Fuck that. (laughs) Just sit with it. Something made you feel good in the middle of so many other things that don't. So try your best to hold on to that for as long as you can. You know, it took me a while to learn to be present and not to borrow worry. Like if I bought this Prince item, would some sort of weird emergency happen and then I wouldn't have the money because I indulged myself? Stuff like that would like bother me for a long time. So instead of staying excited about the memorabilia that I wanted to buy, I worried about how I would be punished for it. Cynthia, one of my really, really good friends back home, she helped me see that the universe does not want to punish me. It wants me to enjoy its gifts. Now, that may seem a little woo-woo and you don't have to believe it. But if you believe in a divine being that will take something away from you if you love it too much, then you can also believe in a divine being that wants you to enjoy something that you love so much. I met Cynthia in high school, and we have been friends ever since. We fell out of touch for a while as we went away to school, and we both tried to follow the paths that other people had set out for us. But then we reconnected as adults after we had both moved home again, and we were trying to figure out what was actually the best way for us to live our lives. Our high school was a magnet school for arts. I took poetry classes. Cynthia did drama. And for a long time, I knew Cynthia as an actor and a playwright. But then I saw a piece of collage art that she had posted online. It was a series of four women in afros, each one a different color to correspond with the elements. It was beautiful. I was so intrigued by it. And the thing is, Cynthia does not sell her collages. She gives them away to family and friends. There's no Etsy shop. She's not trying to mass produce anything. This is just what she feels like doing. I still cannot color inside the lines. So any artist who can use an X-Acto knife with precision is almost otherworldly to me. So I wanted to ask Cynthia all about her collages, what they mean to her, what they do for her life, and more. So if you've got a stack of magazines you keep saying you'll do something with or that you're going to give away somehow, but they're just sitting there looking at you, maybe this episode is for you.
This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. You're ready to get back outside, but your closet says otherwise. Get some much-needed style updates with the help of Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. You try on pieces at home before you buy, keep what you love, and return what you don't. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. The best part is there's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards the pieces you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash thisisgood, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash thisisgood for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash thisisgood. This episode is also sponsored by Dipsy. Summer's here and getting hot, and now it's your turn. Bring the warmth of the outside world back into your bedroom with Dipsy. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting just for you. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there. They release new content every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter what you're into or what turns you on. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash thisisgood. dipsystories.com slash thisisgood. Hello, I am one of Nicole's favorite people on the planet. Uh, my name is Cynthia Harris. We grew up together. I had a tremendous influence on her work and career, which is why she's so <laughs> successful with all of my love and support. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Southerner. I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, born and raised here, left briefly. Uh, I'm an artist and a public health professional. And my joys and my work uh, and all the many facets and forms of it really try to keep me close to the line of looking at the connections between art and public health. And the through line for all of that for me is narratives and the stories that we tell about ourselves, about our culture, about our health. Just what's, what are the stories? And I love a juicy story. So I hope I don't let you down today. <laughs> <laughs> you never could. You never could. So the first time... I saw you as an artist. Maybe it was our sophomore or junior year when you did For Colored Girls. Oh, that was sophomore year. Sophomore year. So we were like 15. I had a mean bob too. Oh, it yes. was gorgeous. <laughs> and that was my first time actually reading and seeing a performance of For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough by Ntozaki Shange. And I remember giving out a standing ovation because I was just really moved by the performance and the choreo poem itself. And it was one of the few times that I had seen 
like my mama and my aunts and my grandmama and my, you know, all of them in school, you know, like I was reading this stuff away from school. So from there, I knew you as an actor and a playwright. And I knew that that's what you were doing because our high school was a magnet school for the arts. So everybody had a little something with them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up because that particular performance has influenced everything for me. So Um, And actually, for me, my aunts, um, who would be my mother's two youngest sisters, have always been into literature and have always had bookshelves full of Black authors. And so that was something that I got pretty early. I was introduced to that in the fifth grade. And uh, we were doing a forensics competition, and I had to uh, beg my forensics and drama teacher to let me do um, the one without any assistance or guidance from you, I've loved you insidiously for like that whole piece. <laughs> and I, you know, the big deal was that I got to say, you can water it your damn self because <laughs> I was in fifth grade. And what did I know about that? But that's also how my life works. You know, the things that I get to experience or talk about through art are certainly things that are happening around me, but sometimes they can be things that I will ultimately experience in my bones at a later time. And so it's just really interesting how that works out. But yeah, mm-hmm, Ntozake girl, love her. Yes. And then I started reading Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo. Like, they just took me on a journey. Because like, you know, like I said, I was getting some of those books away from school, you know, just from my own, like, going to the library and finding that stuff and searching it out. And, you know, the stuff that my mother was reading um, or like, bringing home for me to read or something like that. So a lot of a lot of my black literature was happening away from school. But to see that in school, because we were our school was very small. You know, our class was about 119 students and then 20 of us were black. So it was just like. (laughs) Which felt like a lot when you're not used to it. (laughs) It really did. (laughs) So it was just really surprising. So to see that and to see you doing that, I saw you as an actor, a performer, and then later a playwright. But then. And then what happened, girl? (laughs) After, you know, years passing, us going to college, and then MySpace happened. And so on MySpace, I saw that you had put up this, it was a set of four women. It was an art piece and a set of four women. They had afros and they were kind of like sitting. It looked like they were sitting down maybe in a particular kind of way. And each woman was color coordinated to match an element, right? So there was one woman who was, you know, she had little pieces of blue in her to represent water. Another woman had pieces of orange and red to represent fire, etc. And I was just like, oh, this is beautiful. This is great. And I asked you about it and you was like, oh yeah, I did that. I was like, what? <laughs> what? I was like, Cynthia, are you an artiste? What is going on? I didn't think you remembered all that. Look at you being a professional. (laughs) But those, uh, I just call those the four women and they are actually in New York right now with Kendra. I ended up gifting her um, with those and I started another set. But I think maybe middle school-ish, there is a young white woman named Megan Davis. And she was a delightful young woman. And what I remember about her and the times I would see her mother during special events, she often was crafting. So 
I learned about paint pens and all sorts of things from there. Like, Megan, what is this? How did you, you know, all those things. So I feel like she collaged the thing. That wouldn't surprise me if that was a part of it. But just to know that things could be pieced together in that way was a, a moment. And then this is the really deep part. Freshman year, we tried to get as many pictures of gorgeous Black men on our dorm wall as possible. <laughs> that sometimes meant that we bought, you know, urban magazines geared <laughs> towards you. And sometimes it meant we just ripped pictures of Tyson Beckford out of fashion magazines and didn't pay for anything. <laughs> so, when this was over freshman year, I loved it so, and our friends would come into our dorm room to look at it because it was a pretty thorough collection. Like Lenny Kravitz, like everybody was up there. Mm-hmm. Anyways, people I don't even want to name anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the year, it's like, what do we do with that? And I was like, okay, I'll get a big poster frame and I will see if I can kind of reduce and condense all this beauty into a thing. So that was like one of the first ones I did and maybe gifted people with like one or two of those. And then things kind of just evolved from there. Yeah, but the four women, you couldn't tell, oh, this came from a magazine. You know, because sometimes when people do collages, it's very obviously that this is, you know, here's a rip from the headline kind of thing. But it looked like you were looking for the colors and very meticulously tearing them up or piecing them together. How did you create the stencil for the women? Like, how did you shape them? I tend to tell myself that I can't draw, but occasionally... (laughs) I can see something on paper, even blank paper, and eventually sketch out what I am searing with my eyeballs into the paper. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's what's happening. So like after the whole, oh, you can put faces together and condense them. I got curious about the possibility of using all of this paper because as a result, I would have like clippings of different colors that might have been part of the background image that I didn't need anymore. So I was like, can I paint, so to speak, with these? Because I don't have the skill set of painting, but who didn't love Bob Ross growing up? (laughs) (laughs) Like, this was just my way of of experimenting to see if I could do that and make a thing that looked like something. So I figured it out through trial and error. There are a couple of wonky looking things that my mother loved, um, but I didn't let anybody else see that came before the four women And I just got the back of really the hang of it and the cutting of paper into really small pieces is very meditative. It was a way pre-cannabis for (laughs) for me to sit in a space and relax. And also as I was writing, I used to have my collage station set up next to the computer So I would write out whatever I could get out in terms of story or voice and then shift back into that to kind of reset and see what else would bubble up. So I've spent many afternoons and evenings doing stuff like that, too. But, yeah, trying to see if I could paint with paper in that way. Mm, I love that. I love the idea that although you don't consider yourself a visual artist, you are obviously still putting together something that resonates with people that you are still seeing the art in these pieces and you are moving them into shapes that people want to hang on their walls. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it's come together. It has been something that I've just allowed to be and kind of guide me. So every new thing that I made was I'm bored with doing a collage this way. What else can I do with it? I've been using larger pieces of paper to make an image. What happens when I really refine and use these smaller pieces? How much 
more detail or color or shading, you know, again, as a non-trained artist, can I add to this? And I found that the smaller it got, the more precise I could be. And then having all the aunties that I had and a mother who was a hairstylist, there were always magazines and extra magazines And then in a Black household, it's not uncommon to have a bunch of Jets, a bunch of Ebony's, a bunch of Essence magazines, like in stacks, like they are holy books. So eventually your auntie will have to clean that out. Or if you ask nicely and it doesn't have her favorite person on the cover because it's like Oprah, you know, some folks like that, Mm -hmm. you can't cut that one up. We have to keep that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You can't mess with the Obama ones. You can't. So like there are those big moments in, in culture where we hold on to magazines in that way, or if it was a favorite article or something, um, or featured an artist that was important to you and you were happy to see they were getting some national attention of some sort. Those are the sacred magazines you can't have, but everything else is kind of free to play with. I mean, I even have, if Beyonce is on the Vogue, we don't cut that boat. We don't. <laughs> because even now, and we've seen Black women and women of color grace so many magazines and fashion, things like that, but that it's still a big deal to have a Black woman, you know, an artist on the cover of something like that representing high fashion that still does a thing. Mm-hmm. particular kind of way. And plus, when you're making a collage, some magazines are better for the job than others. And so you would tend to want to have a Vogue or a town and country. <laughs> <laughs> Something with thicker or glossier paper because it holds up better to the way I am gluing all of these elements together. Mm-hmm. And you don't sell your art. You make it a point that it's just for you, your family, and your friends. You give them away for like Christmas presents. Sometimes you take journals and do stuff with that. Why is it so important that you not make money from this? Once you allow yourself to be an artist or to be a creative person in some way, there is this pressure that you have to monetize every way that you're creative to sustain yourself. So the reason I've set my brain and my life up so that I can be an artist and this public health person and I don't have to pick and choose because like my major in undergrad was biology. I'm a sciencey, organizey kind of person and I love all of that. And I also love to be creative and collect these narratives and I don't want to have to do anything like separated out or distant. So it's satisfying and I don't have to, you know, and if I did start making my Journals, for example, that I like to cover. Now, you know, put little silly, raunchy things or empowering words or whatever on it. It's not fun if I have to produce or if somebody's telling me I want one that does this and this. Well, I might not feel like making that one today. So it has to be something that is primarily soothing, calming, delightful, meditative, arousing for me. Because again, something about sitting and focusing on little pieces of paper and making these precise cuts. It's a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) You just talked about having had a biology major, working in the sciences, but you also bring your art into your work. I've been in some of your workshops, just like observing or being uh, your camera person to record everything. And you always make sure to incorporate some sort of artistic element in what you're talking about that kind of helps fold in the medicine a little bit. 
How have you found that your creative side helps with your science organized and like technical side? It helps a lot, that science and art. I have ideas constantly. There's just constantly. <laughs> but like, how can I organize those ideas around kind of a central element or theme of some sort? And then how can I be satisfied fully with the experience of that? So for me, when we're creating a performance, I tend to write it like a play. So no stage directions. There are directors who are listening out there that would make you feel nuts. But it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a process of us building out a performance that's based on these narratives or monologues or poems. So I want that to happen. And for me, the best part of that process is the development or the research or the experimentation phase of things. When we're putting it together, figuring out how we feel about it, how the words feel when we say them, do I need to make adjustments? What are our bodies naturally doing when we say these lines? And how does all of that become this visual experience for people? So like the final result is something I feel neutral about which in science was kind of how I was taught to experiment and treat the outcomes of your experimentation. So like you could run an experiment, set up your protocol so that you're tracking everything and the experiment may not go as you thought it would, but that's still a good answer. We know that these protocols in this way don't yield that. So how can we change that in some way? So I'm also having that experience as an artist when I am making things as well. And the final production is the closing ritual. But the thing that was most exciting was the experimentation and the play of putting it together. And also most specifically, because I'm usually working with Black women um, as artists and fellow performers, it's also an excuse to spend time together. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, so I hope that made sense. But yeah, that's how those things work for me and how... If you're going to say right and left brain or both sides of that, that's how I find peace with all of that. So I want the performance, but I also want to talk. I want to hear from other people. I want your feedback and your results. <laughs> like, did this catalyze a change in you in some way? So I make room for myself to actually be satisfied by the whole experience. And so it's given me ways to open that. And then in my work world where it may be more public health, you still have to do events and productions. Um, you still have to tell stories. Um, you still have to know how to connect to people to get a good story, which typically means, did you ask a good question? Mm -hmm. That's important in science. That's important <laughs> in making art. The strength of your question has a huge impact on what kind of responses and results you get from it. So it's all those things. It sounds like you are making a collage in every aspect of your life, where you are pulling in the pieces of your science career, your health career, your creative side, the perspectives from the people around you who are contributing. You are putting all of these elements together to make this beautiful, amazing picture that you then gift to us. <laughs> never considered it truthfully before you said that <laughs> but that is that's exactly what I'm doing but like also in a way it's like 
this is what the fuck black women do. Mm-hmm. We take pieces of shit, you know, mm-hmm. and we pull it together into our lives. And I'm coming from a black Southern uh, working class experience. And so it was like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, we took the pieces of what we had and we put things in the Bible and prayed over it and, <laughs> and it filled in. So yeah, it has been very much like been connecting all of those dots, but also in my storytelling, celebrating the narratives of these Black Southern women of films that raised me. That is what excites me about storytelling and creating plays and even creative art. Cause I'm, I usually, if I'm making a, human form. It is a form that has boobs and and a butt and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So it's also like elements of myself too. Your collages mean a lot to you for your peace of mind as a symbol of love to your family and friends. Um, And it's also... It's just a creative outlet that it doesn't necessarily start off perfect, but you move it into such a way that it becomes whatever you need it to be in that moment. How would you encourage people to get into doing their own collages? If that's something that maybe they've kind of dismissed because they think, oh, this is just something that we used to do as busy work as kids. Uh, How would you encourage somebody to be like, maybe take this time to look into collaging? I have a good portion of friends that like to do vision boards. That's a type of collaging that it seems like people are pretty comfortable with. You pull out scissors and a piece of poster board and people will participate and get into it. It's partially because it doesn't have to be this perfected thing. It's something that's personal and that's great. So you're using words and images in that way. A next step might be, okay, if I focus, I tend to advise myself and other people To think about if you have a thing that you want, a new house or something, we're not putting the magic on just the words new house, but how do I want to feel in that new house? You know, who's coming over? What kinds of things will I prepare in that home? What type of joy will I have? For me, that is how the magic works. This is what I've learned for myself. So even in playing with this idea of Vision board, take one thing. If it's, oh, I want a boo. And you're used to putting all these words that describe the boo on there. That is, for me, a little bit irrelevant. The boo can have all those things, but they might not be nice to you. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> mm-hmm. we've, we've missed it all. So like, how does that boo, sorry, I'm old, yeah. that person that you like. <laughs> <laughs> you can say boo, they know it. <laughs> how do you want that relationship to make you feel? And so then you can play with colors and it can get a little bit more abstract. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Just try it. Because once you get your hands dirty and there's glue stuck to your fingers and you're moving things around, I think that's when it all kind of breaks loose. Once you let yourself, allow yourself to let go and just see what happens. But for me, so much of it is trying something I think might work and going with what is actually happening. And then I arrive at a new place. But I guess there are a lot of little happy accidents. Um, but yeah, it's just letting yourself be and letting, and letting yourself try it and make a mess and not look for something to be perfected. And you're not going to sell it. It's for you. If it's cute, put it in the bathroom. If it's not, file it with the rest of the vision boards. You know, like, <laughs> it's fine. It's recycling. You know, you're, you're repurposing something when the previous use is no longer working for you. So you're doing something else with it. Right. And it's still just a matter of 
sitting in a very meditative mode, just being quiet with yourself and figuring out what exactly do I want? You know, what exactly do I need? You know, we were just talking about this because I was like, I had done exactly what you just said. I said, this is these are the characteristics that I want in a partner. And, you know, I went out on a date and he had a lot of those things. You know, he was kind, he was witty, he was funny. And then he was terrible in bed. And I was just like, no, what happened? (laughs) No. 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 (laughs) So I have been going back and putting in those feelings. Like, I want his kindness to make me feel warm. I want his kindness to make me feel safe. You know, those kinds of things. So hopefully... The little ears of the universe are listening. Oh, they are. Usually certainly once you and I have a conversation and we get specific. That's true. Even if we're freaking out. Within 24 to 48 hours, those exact things that we talked about are starting to appear. And then we text each other like, okay, guess what just happened? Guess who reached out? Guess what I just found out? Somebody just invited me to this. And it's not like, you know, good old Louise, hey, you know, all your practitioners who talk about manifesting what you want. Just in looking at all of that, those have been the most specific things for me that help me also center myself in my own pleasure. Whether, you know, it's collaging that I do for myself, for my own joy. I'm not on anybody's timeline. You can't really ask me. Or even if you do ask for one, it has to be whatever I want to give you, you know, and whenever I give it to you. (laughs) There has to be all that freedom in it. And it still has to be about the pleasure that I take in creating something or even thinking about someone else and creating it ultimately for them. But like first for me is my pleasure in the moment. And then, of course, everything beyond that can be shared, but you can't share it unless it's overflowing. Mm. (laughs) Well, you know, I have my craft supplies waiting for you to come back to New York so that we can just have a session. Exactly. We talk some stuff. We should probably record it. People would love it. You know, (laughs) partake in things and then, like, make some stuff. Now, I would like us to move on to the indulgences, which is the part of the episode where I recommend something that our listeners can enjoy, you know, without any guilt, without any shame, you know, just sit in the pleasure of it and the joy of it. And I asked you to bring an indulgence today. What do you have for us? Okay. So I hope this is acceptable. It's an action. Um, (laughs) going out without undergarments on. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. This is why it's an indulgence. You know, it's the Southern churchy, keep it all together, push your boobs down, and, you know, got big boobs in my family. So the idea of leaving the house without your undies on or without your brassiere on is scandalized. There's also this idea that there are certain boobs that are allowed to go without bras and certain heavy ones, <laughs> such as mine, that like have a little more life and movement in certain ways. They need to be restrained. They don't get to be free. But I've reached the thing in, in my 40s where I'm just in my body in so many more ways. And I've had the opportunity to revisit even the smallest little things. Because I have friends that it's never been a big deal. It's like, I'm never wearing underwear. What are you talking about? But for me, it was very, very different. 
And a lot of that was because of the body I'm in, this is what that body requires to be controlled in whatever way. So, you know, there would be things I didn't buy if you couldn't put a good bra under it some kind of way. And so now I let these things swing a lot more. And then, um, oh, her name's not coming to me. Anyway, she's got a big following of women that she inspires with her books and stuff like that. She's been around for a long time. She suggested once upon a time that when you're going to go into an interview or do something big, take your underwear off before you do it. And it gives you this whole sensual secret that you have, and it shifts your mood and your energy in some kind of way. I did that before an interview once. Uh, <laughs> it was in the summertime. You might want to think about that. <laughs> I did it. And I felt so much more comfortable, so much more present. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing, and that's what I think folks should do. You know, certainly anything that's restrictive the way you have been taught that you have to perform, whether it's clothing based on gender or just whatever. But for me, it's letting these girls swing in these good summer dresses and just letting the body be and going without undies and being free. Don't tell my mom I said that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, you also reach an age where you mature as a Black lady. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. So here I am. I've reached that place where... It's okay to be a little more free and I'm not concerned about the eyes of somebody else on the body. It's just how do I feel and how comfortable does this make me? Because, yeah, bras, underwire, straps, ugh, uh, torture. It's just annoying. I um, When I was smaller and I went without bras for a very long time, several years, and I was maybe like a 34B and I had been that size from like high school into my late 20s. And I was working at this one job at a school. I was an administrative assistant at a high school. And HR called an all-staff meeting to talk about everybody needed to wear underwear. But they were, they were talking about me. But they called it for everybody. So then everybody's looking at me. Oh, my God. You know, and I'm like, so you're telling me that Miss So-and-so with the 40 Fs I'm more distracting than her just because you could tell that things are loose over here. That was really annoying. And I still didn't wear a bra. I love it. I want them, if they want to discipline me for this, I want them to put it in a file that they were upset that they were looking at, staring at my chest. You know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like Exactly. Because I had, I would have my little cardigans. I was very professional still, but I guess... You know, maybe my little sweater moved out of the side and you could see the outline of a nipple. And I don't know. Anyway, all that to say, when I started to gain some weight and my boobs went through uh, like a third and fourth puberty and they just kept growing. As they do. <laughs> I did go back to wearing bras because I did start to feel a bit self-conscious, you know, just for myself. But I really resented having to go back to that or at least telling myself I had to go back to that. So I am all for not wearing underwear, you know, I would not wear underwear at night when I would get into bed because that was also a very Southern thing, right? You got to let it yeah, breathe. Yeah, you got to let it breathe at night. <laughs> get some air on it. Yeah, that's how you keep it healthy, you know? <laughs> Can't be in them nylons. <laughs> Shiny panties. <laughs> With such a thick, it's not a soul in panties. It's a seat. What it's, is that? It's the uh, crotch, the... A crotch, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <In> the soul. <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Yes. But, you know, since this last year, obviously, I've gotten back to not wearing bras. And even when I go out now, I am, if I do wear a bra, it is a bralette or, you know, something that is softer, that's not necessarily going to lift or do anything that it's a bra is quote unquote supposed to do. But I still just like, I feel like, okay, I am following the the protocol here, but I'm still going to like have comfort in mind for myself. Uh, COVID helped for yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I was not wearing anything at home. Yeah. And then, you know, so home becomes primary and then everything I have to do outside of it is the secondary stuff. So that flipped. And it was like, wait, I do have a real bra in here somewhere. Honestly, I'm down to one. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. It's probably 42 double D. I might need a triple. You know how it goes. <laughs> Look at the measure. <laughs> but like, give me something loose, you know, maybe a sports bra because that, you know, that does make a difference. But other than that, the only concern is a little underboob sweat. Yeah. And if somebody could invent a titty kickstand. I know you hate this idea, but uh, <laughs> I think it's important. Just something to lift the bosom so the air can circulate under it. But I'm not trying to like style it. And it's for like at home. Right. A little titty kickstand. Yeah. Like sit the boobs on to sit them up and out so that, you know. Something that goes up and kicks them up and then it drops them back down when, you know, it's circulating. I might be into that for like, <laughs> because I have started to like, okay, one of the most lasting memories of my mother, and I hope she doesn't listen to this, is how much baby powder she would put on her cleavage <laughs> and just walk out the house with just like this, <laughs> this pat of baby powder. <laughs> Yes. And I was just like, no, can you blend it out? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, also, like, when our families have come, like, working poor, working class yeah. families, they held it together. They, you know, often larger families and all that good stuff. Um, you know, making sure some people knew your child was clean. <laughs> yes. It was a way of, of dealing with that perception of who we are mm-hmm. and that even though we may not have much. These are our basic decencies that mm-hmm. we need you to respect. Mm-hmm. You know, so like my family was heavy on the powder. Like every child was powdered up to the neck. But again, that's how you know somebody cared for it, somebody cleaned it. And it got a badge today. You can't put powder on dirt because then you make what? Mud. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so it's all of that signaling. And yes. Key. The people about stuff. But yeah, that boob powder. Yeah. So I recently, I went on Etsy and got some like scented baby. Because for most of my adult life, I have been using baby powder when I change my linen. Because again, I guess that's a very country thing. You know, you change your Uh sheets, put some powder down, and then you put the clean sheets on. You take your shower, you take your bath, and then you get in a bed that smells delicious and you are fresh and you have the best night's sleep of your life. So I need to go back to powder. I've been using like a little spray that I make up and Mm -hmm. I use on the linens, but it's something about that powder. Right. So I was like, okay, let me get some scented powder because, you know, I like to smell like candy and I went went on Etsy and I got like a lemon scented baby powder from this, you know, it's like talc free. And then there was a, a peach because, you know, I love my peaches. I got the peach. And so I've been doing that under my boobs. But I use a duster, you know, and I put the 
the nice scented stuff under my boobs to try to control it a little bit. But it's still just like, damn, I'm at a point where I got to powder my titties and I don't want to do that no more. <laughs> it's like, that's cute for a show. But like, <laughs> titties, they be sweating, sweating. You know, <laughs> they can't. So you need a full titty kickstand to fully elevate the tit up off the body. You know, and then if somehow it dropped the powder, you know, mm-hmm. as that happened, that could be cool. So I guess that this has multiple features. Yeah. And I guess the the part, I don't want to say what's so bad about titty sweating or sweating from the under boob. It's just that if you are out in public and it marks your shirt and then people see that you are sweating under your boobs, then you have to deal with like this shame from that, right? And it's like, ugh. That's part of it too, you know? It's like, why? Like, I got I got them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do, you know? And it gets warm. They sweat. Like, all the parts of the body do. Yeah. So I don't have to be ashamed. I mean, it's again, you're not supposed to draw attention to the area and right. the same reason we keep the bra on and all that good stuff. But it's like, if this is what a body part does, that's okay. You know, it's like, it's my shirt. You know, I see it. I might like it. You know, it's like, I don't know. Somebody might into, be into a longish boob. And the fact that they can see the outline of it might do something for them. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> it's, but it's all of that in trying to allow ourselves the things that bring us the most pleasure. Yeah. I like that. That's our indulgence for today. Going underwear free, letting yourself sweat and jiggle and hang. Exactly. (laughs) This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will. And our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod. And you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. Remember, we're taking a small season break, so the next episode will come in four weeks. This was good for me. Was it good for you?